Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome to episode 14 of VAR at the Bar. I'm Dan and I am joined by... I'm Ant. And I'm Chris. Welcome guys, how's it going? Yeah, joined Lockdown 2.0. And your team's top of the league? Yeah, uh, for now. Yeah. Yes. Second worst defence in the division, but top of the league. <laughs> After one game that was, mainly. <laughs> can I, guys, can I give... Give you a fact, if that's all right, that I found out a couple of days ago. Yeah. Erling Haaland, do you know who his idol was as a youngster? As in football no. idol. Was it a Leeds player? No, no, no. Ian Rush or someone? No, it's someone that actually was on our um, One Season Wonders. Oh. Michael Bridge. Just careful sell? No, no. It was Michu. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. That's a fascinating fact for you. Do you know why? No, to be honest. I just read it. And I th- he, he put his three heroes were Ronaldo, Messi, Aspar, and uh, Michu, which I, to put him in the same category I thought was quite nice of him. Interesting. I thought, thought, thought I'd just throw that in there to start the episode off. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Thanks, Chris. It's all right. Pleasure. <laughs> right. Well, on the agenda today, I thought that we'd have a bit of an England debate after the debacle of the most recent fixtures. Something we covered, was it in episode two? Long time ago? It, it was. I've got the date as well. It was back in March. So it's about the six month uh, review. Yeah, so see how our views have changed since then. Uh, So, yeah, we'll kick things off with an England debate. And then, Chris, you're going to do the Warnock Watch for us this week. Well, yeah, me and Ant will be be doing that. Yeah, I was going to say, I've I've written a load of stuff on it. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Joint effort then. Ant, you can lead the Warnock Watch this week. I'll give you my latest entry for the good, the bad, the obscure. I'm going to update on the fantasy football. 
We're going to talk about our top 10 goal scorers in the Premier League. And we'll finish off with a quiz. That sounds good. All right. So first up, England. First of all, we all agreed that the last run of international fixtures for England, they weren't too good. Uh, yes. <laughs> and was in mildly. We had a friend against Wales. We had a good result against Belgium, beaten 2-1, and disappointingly lost 1-0 to Denmark. So, mixed bag of results. But um, having watched the games and the style of play and the formation, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't see all these brilliant young players that are coming through uh, the ranks at the minute. They just didn't perform. Do, do you think it's because of the conservative way he plays with the, the midfielders? Like against Wales, he had two holding midfielders and you look at the team and you think, well, so they could have been a lot more attacking. I feel that sometimes he doesn't take that on a lot. Because <laughs> I think, was it Phillips and um, Winks that he had in midfield in that game? No, I think you've got a very good point there. Um, they definitely could have been more attacking. That was a very weak Welsh team. I think having three defenders, three centre-backs is overkill. And then, like you say, in midfield, we also had defensive midfielders. So there just wasn't as much going forward as you'd like to see. All of the possession was in the middle of the pitch, where really you want to see the whole game played higher up the pitch, lots of possession around the Wales penalty area. Yeah, especially giving Grealish the ball, which second half it did a lot more in advanced areas and played to his strengths. And I just think that if you've got players that have got pace then give them the ball early, get get them taking on the the wing back or their full back <laughs> down the line and, and work work um work efforts from there. And England have got plenty of talent on that area as well. Definitely. Um I thought Greece had a really good game actually. He was the best player on the pitch. So the formation they played in that game, it was uh three four two one. So back three of Gomez, Cody and Michael Keane. Two fullbacks, Trippier and Saka. And then, like you say, the two in the middle, Phillips and Wings. And then in front of them, Ings and Grealish, Calvert Lewin up front by himself. So, Ant, what's your reaction to that lineup? It was very, um, a lot of the players, a lot of them never really played for England before. And so, it is hard to judge how, how these players fared. But again, like Grealish, from everything I've seen, he looked like a bright spark, a bit of creativity, which England lacked. Why Southgate didn't play him in the next couple of games is beyond me. You need those types of creative players. Exactly. I mean, mean, personally, I would have looked at that fixture with the Welsh and gone, right then, take out sort of one of the defensive players, maybe even put Barnes on for the game to give him a first full start as well um, and really go for it and just be a bit more attacking and positive. I mean, I know the Welsh team that they had out was very, like I said, not particularly strong and they didn't particularly play very well. They didn't mark very well, especially for set pieces. But I think they were there for the taking for a lot more of a bit more of a hiding than they got, actually. Yeah, you're right. And who, what was the game after Wales? Was it Belgium? Which I, which I know we won. Um, it wasn't plain sailing, though. And to me, it feels like Southgate has its favourites and he's got to square pegs and round holes. <laughs> It's just frustrating when you see that. that. That shouldn't be happening. So we've actually got a decent pool of talent to choose from at the minute. We've not got you know the best player in every position. We've not got a great centre-backs. We've not got that perfect defensive midfielder. But we've got enough to choose from that we should have people playing in the right positions. Yeah, exactly. 
No, I just wanted to roll back to the World Cup where I remember a quote from Southgate where he said he didn't have enough faith in his centre-backs and their ability to play against the best teams. And in that World Cup, he felt he had to go with three centre-backs because of that. He needed to give that extra protection. And that ultimately, he wanted to move away from that and play a more attacking lineup that would suit better the talent that we've got to choose from in those attacking areas. If we look back to the Croatia game, we played a 3-1-4-2 formation. So that's a back three of Maguire, Stones and Walker. So that's the Croatia game in the semi-final of the World Cup. We had Henderson in front of them, offering the protection. And then everyone else was pushed up the pitch, basically. Uh, Dele Jesse Lingard, Ashley Young, Kieran Trippier, Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane. Those were the attacking options. And quite quickly, Southgate changed to a 4-3-3 formation. If we jump to the Nations League game against Spain, where we won 3-2, uh, back four of Chilwell, Maguire, Gomez, Trippier. In midfield, Barkley, Dyer, and Winks. Ashford, Kane and Sterling. Went all the way through the European qualifying with that formation, 4-3-3. And it didn't change until after the lockdown, we went to Iceland. I was asking myself, why has he changed that? And for me, it has to be that he doesn't trust his centre-back still. Yeah, I mean, with, with that, it's hard, isn't it? Because it seems like he's trying to get the players he wants into the team. Because Connor Cody at Wolves, great player when it's three at the back. He's been playing that for the like last five years. Again, I don't know whether doing a little change to put four, a flat four, whether that would change it, change the way he plays. But he seems to be a big fan of him. So I don't know whether he's trying to fit him into it. But they do seem a little bit less balanced when it's three at the back in comparison to the two centre-backs and the, the two full-backs, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I think the 4-3-3 definitely works better. Yeah, I agree. We have a lot yeah. more passion in, in the right areas when we play 4-3-3. Um, and you can utilise the attacking threat that they've got, that England have got as well. Problem is, I don't think he, he even knows his best 11 yet. He definitely is. worrying. It is worrying. We're supposed to be playing in a tournament last summer. Yeah. We previewed it as well with the squad. <laughs> yeah. Did you, uh, did you manage to run through that, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to run through the, the squad that we had? So we went for four three three. Okay, so we actually named the, the, the three main keepers to go on the plane, invisible plane, um, would have been Pickford, Pope and Henderson. I mean, would you say that those three would still be the same? Yeah. And then we had a shout out about um, yeah. Foster and Ramsdale, but obviously Foster now is down in the Championship. Ramsdale's had an okay start, but I I think the three that we named are still the same three. Yeah, so did we agree on a starter? We did. We eventually agreed on Pickford. But Henderson shot himself in the foot by going to Manchester United this season. All season. I would have at least stayed in Sheffield United for another year. Or wherever. Gone to Chelsea. Chelsea I I think he's been um, a bit swizzed. I'll be honest with you with that. I think he was promised more game time and... He's only managed, what is it now, three games, and they've all been in cup competition this season. Um, that's hardly going to get him into number one position, is it? And then obviously you've got what happened with Pickford this this season as well. He's been very... It's a bit of a worry, isn't it, now? Uh, a little bit, because I, I think Pope's not had a great season, to be honest, either. Yeah, he's not had a great start with Burnley. I think they're averaging um, conceding two goals a game. Um, which for them is very... Is that more down to Burnley than, than it is to Pope? Not yeah, necessarily. Yeah. Some of the goals have been questionable, mate. 
no one grabbing that spot with two hands, is there? If you pardon the pun. <laughs> the right backs. <coughs> we only mentioned Tw- Trent and uh, Kieran Trippier. It's interesting. Yeah, it's now grown to about a list of about another three or four now, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, you've got what is it, Reese James that made his debut? Um, got Lamptey there and Wampasaka as well. Yeah, so Wampasaka's still never played for England. Not yet. Unbelievable, Amazing, isn't, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think he's he's got about the big best all round game. Um, if you were playing a flat back four, personally, and Trippier the same. But Trent does have that additional attacking option. What do you reckon there, um, Trent, all the way? I'd, I'd pick Trent. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would like to see what, what Wan-Bissaka could do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I think I want to see Trent start. If we're going to play this 4-3-3 formation, the whole point is we want to be attacking and you want to be able to swing your crosses in. I think Trent's the best man for the job, but then I think we need that option off the bench to shut up shop be a bit more defensive. And I think wan has definitely got a role to play in that. What about Kyle Walker? Didn't exactly put himself into glory when he came back for his uh, return, did he? No, he's back in the squad though and he's been playing okay for Man City. I think he's played well as a right-sided centre-back in a three. That's yeah. his best position, in my opinion. Yeah. But like Ant says, he's prone to an odd mistake, isn't he? You know, get a bit reckless at times. Um, left back was a little bit interesting. Um, the first name isn't, which is Ben Chilwell. Um, Luke Shaw, and then you mentioned Brandon Williams as well, Dan. Well, I think I think Ben Chilwell still be my starter. Yeah, I think Saka would be in there, or Maitland Niles possibly pushing pushing him for that. I think those two would be the next two on my pecking order. Now, what about you, Ant? I'd have. Um, Chilwell or probably Saka yeah. for me at left yeah. back. Yeah, I think they're the best options. Chilwell's got the same sort of intensity that Trent's got. Um, perhaps Chilwell's slightly more defensively minded. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I think I agree with that. Then we've got centre backs, which was Maguire, Joe Gomez, which were the two we picked. However, we did name Smalling and Michael Keane as well. Obviously, now you've got. Well, we mentioned Connor Cody there as well. I'm uh, quite surprised no one mentioned him back in March, May, whenever it was. Yeah, I know. I know it wasn't too far long ago, was it, really? Um, and then, obviously, we, um, you mentioned as well, I forgot got to say, Dan, um, Tyrone Mings as well, he was mentioned. Yeah, well, he's still in the squad, isn't he? Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think we're struggling in centre-back position, if I'm honest. Uh, I like Connor Cody. But I'm just not convinced he can play in a back four. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that earlier, Chris. I think that's part of the Southgate's headache. John Stones isn't playing. He's certainly not reliable when he does play. Joe Gomez, I've definitely got question marks on him at the minute. My, my thing with Joe Gomez is, is if he's got somebody experienced with him, then he's good because he will, he will follow well. But if he's the one leading the defence... I just think he's still got a bit of it. He's only 23, so he's still got a long way to go yet. And you don't want to sort of knock them too far up to knock them down too easily. I think he's got he's a quality player in the making, but maybe not as great as everyone says he is. Yeah, I, I always see him as like a number two centre-back where he needs yeah. to direct him. 
Um, you mm-hmm. play in front of that holding center. Yeah. He needs to play in front of them and he, he needs to learn better when to press, get his angles right, that kind of thing. He's, he's definitely a prospect, but he's, he's not there yet, is he? No, nearly there. What about, what's your opinion on that, Anne? Obviously, I know you would have seen Joe quite a lot of Joe Gomez. Uh, like I said earlier, if, if you've got centre-backs in your squad, put centre-backs in your team, don't go putting people like Dyer at centre-back. Yeah, if Connor Cody can do a job there, I'd, I'd trust him more than a, mid, a defensive midfielder playing there. It's like putting Jordan Henderson at the centre-back. Yeah. I'm sure he'd do an, an OK job, but he's not a natural. Yeah. And your opinion with Gomez? Is he a starter for you? Based on the options we've got, uh, yeah, I'd probably have Gomez and um, Maguire providing his heads in it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably have to go with that. I think that is our best option. I mean, the leadership qualities, you know, I see Mings is, is really stepping up for Villa. Um, this season especially. But again, I don't know whether he's quite up to that level yet to be starting. And yeah. like you say, it's not particularly a high level, unfortunately. I mean, Maguire's had an absolute mare this the start of this season. Obviously, I think the off-the-field um, issues has, has probably affected him in a way. Um, but again, he's been a bit found out with his positioning at times and... Yeah. Just loss of concentration at important times, and you can't really have that, can you? Yeah, that was the story of Michael Keane's season last year. Mistake after mistake, he got dropped from the Everton squad. Couldn't even get on the pitch at one point. Liability. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Centre back. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Gomez starting, uh, not because I think he's. Um, polished or anything but I don't think I think if Connor Cody can play in a back four I'd play Gomez and Cody but that's a big if that's almost a high yeah I mean from what I've heard I've heard great things about his leadership qualities and that people have been saying he just non-stop talks to the the team which is great (laughs) I don't know whether it's good talking or whether it's a bit too much but it seems like he manages very well on the pitch and I think that's what England especially need because it it seems like they're going on the youth side. And if you've got somebody with an old head, even if he's not up played at that sort of level, but he's been the captain at club level for so long, then I think that's a plus, um, yep. in my personal opinion. I agree. I agree. For uh, defensive midfielders was a, well, we went Jordan Henderson um, with mentions of um, Declan Rice, Eric Dyer. Hamza Chowdhury and Kelvin Phillips. Thank you. <laughs> For, we haven't said about Troy Deeney yet, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to mention Troy Deeney. I was going to get down and knock off. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we basically said that exactly the same, I think, on the original one, that we all say that Henderson isn't particularly now a, cl- a sort of a holding midfielder player, is he? He's... He's very much a bit more attacking now, isn't he? Sort of pushing forward a bit more and getting the ball in those areas. I think he can play both. Yeah. I think he, he, he could sit back if, if needed. So, uh, but Declan Rice has started the last five games for England. Your thoughts on that, Ant? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, from what I'm only going by what I've seen of him, um, which. To be fair, probably isn't much because I don't watch many England games. I don't tend to watch 
that many West Ham games, but I, I don't see the fuss about him. He's, he's very safe, too safe. No, I, I agree to an extent with that because there's another name that we didn't add, but who's on the in the England team a lot, and that's Harry Winks. And I'll find him a, a very similar type player, gets in a good challenge, plays the safe ball, but sometimes you need those sorts of players. However, I think with the way that England are set up, I don't think you need someone that as safe, especially with the attacking options you got. I think if you can have a player that can put in the tackle and build from there. And, you know, I mean, the best player I've seen that does that sort of thing is, um, like we've said, just said, you know, Jordan Henderson can do that job. I think if, you, I think if you're going to play a, a safe player, just play one safe player. Don't play Declan Rice with Harry Winks. Like Henderson can pick a pass from 60 yards, whereas yeah. you know, Rice and Winks, they probably can't, can't do that. No, yeah, you have to have that versatility, don't you? I have seen Rice and Winks play some good passes, but you can't have too many deep line midfielders fundamentally from a tactical perspective. That's my opinion on formation, anyway. I mean, if you're going, if you're going with the rest of the formation, you know, with the three, three up front, I think that you've hit the nail on the head. You need to have just that one person to get the to do that sort of the simple ball or to mix and match a bit. I don't think you need two people to do that because then you you. I just think you're just over-filling um, the midfield. So what do you do when you get the ball? You've then got less options to play it up. Well, there's too much of a gap between midfield and the, the front three. And if you've got someone like Grealish playing in the front three, like like with the Wales game, he was dropping too deep to pick up the ball. Exactly, yeah. And and then you get then he gets two people on him each time. Or Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, what's interesting, though, moving on from that, is the cent- sort of attacking midfielders that we've said and the central midfielders. We said Deli Ali, Rubens Loftus Cheek, James Madison, Jack Grealish, Mason Mount, and Ross Barkley. Yeah, it's interesting. A few of them, I don't think we're getting the team now. Uh, Loftus Cheek. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did mention the tree and uh, Jesse Lingard as well, Dan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Jesse Lingard's getting in the team. And who was the first name you read out, sorry? Uh, Deli Alley. Deli Alley as well, yeah. he He's not going to get a game for Spurs. Have you seen the um, documentary All or Nothing on Spurs? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't cover himself in glory on that. No, not he at all. He's learned how to cook baked beans. <laughs> and wasn't something about um, doing your teeth in the morning or something? It was, do you wet your toothbrush before? No, you <laughs> sorry, yeah. Uh, he's in a bit where Eric Dyer really lost his rag with him as well. You can tell he's a bit of a frustrating character to be around. Yeah. Grow up, doesn't he? Yeah. Tom got a few of them, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> Loftus Cheeks just had that big injury, didn't he? So he's he's not going to probably make it unless he does something special at Fulham. Yeah, I really like his game as well. I hope he yeah. does recover. He's good, um, good at driving with the ball, wasn't he? As well, good ball carrier. And then obviously we've got the interesting debate, which seems to be what the tabloids seem to be hitting is the the whole um, Mason Mount or James Madison thing. Yeah. 
for me, Madison's your creative player. Um, he's been he's been on fire the last few weeks, Leicester. Uh, he just picks the ball up in the middle of the park. He can he's so easily turn a defender and then take the ball 40 yards up the pitch. He picks the pass as well. He's got his head up all the time. So much skill, easily retains possession whenever he's under pressure. He wins so many free kicks, just like Grealish. He's a great talent. It's shocking that he's not had more caps and more chances. And any anything that you think that doesn't that Gareth doesn't fancy about him because for him not to be in the squad, I haven't had a chance to speak to you about it actually since the squad's been named with him and Harvey Barnes both being left out, and especially Barnes being on the form that he has been this year, which I think has been arguably, arguably one of the most consistent attacking mids this year. Is there? Do you think he? They just don't fit right with what he wants, or what? What's your opinion on why he's not being picked, or both of them not being picked? Uh, I think I think Barnes is a wide player, and there's quite a lot of competition for places there with uh, Sancho, Rashford, Sterling, to name three. Um, so I can see why Barnes isn't getting a look in just yet. With Madison, it's a little bit more surprising. One, I suppose Phil Foden's got to be considered as well as a yeah. similar type of player. There's players in the squad that, um, like Mason Mount's an interesting one. I'll come back to him. But James Ward-Prowse, he's a, he's a good player, free-kick specialist, which I do like. He can definitely pass. And he's a good all-round midfielder. But he, he doesn't unlock defences the same way that Grealish or Madison would. I think that's what is really missing from this England team in the last few games. It's that creative spark. So that's, that's why I'd, I'd, love to see, I'd love to see Madison in there. Would you, would you think um, that Madison and Grealish can play in the same team or would you put Grealish slightly advanced on the left if you were in charge yourself? Uh, if we're playing a midfield diamond in the middle and you've got one holding, then you can have two in front of them. I, I don't know if Grealish and Madison can play together. We've never had a chance to see it. Could, it could be a whole uh, Lampard and Gerrard scenario, couldn't it? Not another one of them. And then we whack on Paul Scholes on the left again. <laughs> what the waste of talent that was, wasn't it? What's your opinion on it, Anne, anyway? No, it's definitely hard to left out Madison. I don't know why he, you know, I don't know if they've had some kind of bust up or sour grapes or something. And It's the same with Grealish. Grealish has been knocking on the door for like, over a year and he's only just got his chance. Whether that's the last we see of him, we don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, Mason Mount's a great little player. They're all, they're all good players. I, I wouldn't like to pick which one to play, if I'm being honest. I think Mount's had a good start to the season. I think Madison's had a good start to the season. And Grealish had a good start to the season. I like Mount. He definitely gets into good positions and gets into the box, doesn't he? So that's the yeah. threat. He helps, he helps the team with carrying that threat. But it's just uh, creating for his teammates, where I don't quite see enough from him, or as much as I think other players can give to that role. No, I I agree. I would personally probably play play Grealish over over all, both of those two. Um, like I say, he's just got that. There's the X factor sort of with him a bit. Um, with the ball, he, he's he's very good with the ball. Pushes forward well, doesn't he? Grealish, he's got an eye for a goal as well. As well as assisting, like you said against Wales, you know if you put him in the right areas, he will create, or he will get that free kick or foul. 
and that's that's what you know that's what every team needs really isn't it I think with Grealish it's difficult to judge him because obviously week in week out he plays with Villa who are more of a lower down the table team and so there are games where you don't see Grealish much it's a bit like Wilf Zaha he'll have a couple of great games and then you won't see him for five games because they've played some of the big boys or they've played teams that he can't that mark him out of the game it'd be interesting to see how Grealish better opposition and, and with him playing with better players yeah good, good good point good point play with Barkley at international level yeah or he's, he was on the list that we said <laughs> <laughs> right then we'll just go on to the the strikers which was um, quite a long list of strikers we said or attacking forwards if you want to call them that as a three, so we went Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Ings, Calvert-Lewin, Kane, Tammy Abraham, and the man, the one and only Troy Deeney. Deeney. <laughs> it was quite interesting actually listening back because obviously you and you and Matt had a very interesting conversation about about Calvert-Lewin and uh, Ings, and you questioned his judgment for putting people on form instead of um, reputation as such. <laughs> Not so much reputation, but players that have proved themselves and scored 20 goals a season for a number of seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't say that England's not got much up front, really. They've got an you know, abundance of talent there, haven't they, that you could switch around... <laughs> Pretty, uh, pretty scary thought, though. You know, you could almost have have one of them playing as an attacking mid as well, <laughs> if you really wanted to go 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 all out. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think um, Sancho, Sterling, and Rashford having those three wide players really does bring something, uh, bring an edge to the England play. I think we've got a, a great chance of winning some tough games with those three in the team. And then Kane in the middle as well. If we get the service to Kane, he will score. He's proved that. Our forward options are fantastic. Abundance of riches there, isn't there? And this season we've what? seen the emergence of Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. He had a good season last season, but this year he, he, you can see the difference in his game. He's definitely done some good work on the training ground. He looks fantastic in the box. And Charlotte touch, isn't it? He's obviously put <laughs> him aside and sort of... Uh, Given the chat. <laughs> yeah, and from what I hear, Duncan Ferguson as well, apparently, especially with his uh, aerial ability. Yeah, I mean, I've never, to be to be on a serious note, that goal against Liverpool, his leap was incredible. <laughs> he does it every game, that leap. Yeah. He's worked on it. Brilliant. Incredible. And it's all, all about confidence as well. Like, even the goal he scored against um, New, Newcastle, I think it was last week. You know, he wouldn't have done that probably last season, took that, you know, more or less first time in that acute angle. And he's it, and he's really pushing, pushing for a starting place, you know. It's 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 good to have that competition there, isn't it? It is. He's got to really go some to get Kane out of the team though. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Ant? Um yeah, I think you've got to have Kane and then probably Sterling and Rashford up front for me. That'd be my front three. Yeah. 
I would like to see Sancho, but he doesn't seem to be putting out the same sort of performances at international level than he has been at Dortmund. Um, he seems very quiet the few times I've seen him playing for, for England, to be honest. I don't know whether he might be better coming on as an impact player, personally. He could be right, but let's just give him time. I think there's definitely a great talent there. and He's got to be in the squad. What, um, what nationality is Jude Bellingham? Because he's been banging the manager, hasn't he? English. Oh, there we are. Another name for the list. <laughs> what is he, about 16 still? <laughs> right. See, Walcott was 16, wasn't he, when he first went on a plane to the World Cup? <laughs> yeah, true. He's about 17, I think, yeah. Spends little surprise he gave us everyone. My my biggest concern with England is is the captaincy. I, Harry Kane doesn't do it for me as a captain, especially after that Tottenham documentary. Yeah, I was thinking that he doesn't inspire me at all. <laughs> well. <laughs> if I was in the change room at half time, we were nil nil or one nil down to other Denmark. And he's like, come on, lads, let's fucking win it. I'll be like, no, you're not inspiring me. Yeah, I totally agree. But then there's not many, there's not really many other options, to be honest with you. After Henderson, I can't think of anyone else. Cody. Captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? You sort of then go down to looking at, at leaders, and that's another issue. There isn't a lot of leaders they got along the pitch. Rashford. I mean, Rashford's taking on the government. <laughs> I thought he's a good leader. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, why not? Add another bow to his... Uh... String to his bow. Yeah, string to his bow even. <laughs> so what was our final picks then, do you think? If you if you were England manager now, you're in 4-3-3 formation, what would be our pick, our first team? You'd like to get a pick for goal, unfortunately. Yeah. Lack of a better option. I mean, like what a lot of people have said, he's not doing anything wrong yet for England has he it's all been in the Everton shirt where he's been a little bit dodgy yeah but you've got to look at lower averages he doesn't play for England as much as Everton <laughs> nice to see that positivity there Ant. <laughs> no. I don't like him I've never raced him <laughs> I like him even less after Van Dyke instant um, right back who do who do we say as right right back then Go around the room. Trent. Trent. Yeah, that's fine with me. Trent. Left back. You will. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And we said centre back. We went Maguire and Gomez, didn't we? Go, yeah, I have to go Gomez and Maguire. Cody to replace either one, depending on <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with that. It's, it's between those three. I'd Probably go with Gomez and Cody at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, defensive mid, Jordan Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Then we've got the centre midfield. So we've got obviously two places there. So what did you did we think with that? Sort of gave look at maybe being a bit expansive, give Grealish and Madison run out. Definitely picking Grealish. I think I'd probably lean towards Madison for the other spot. I think I'd probably go Grealish and Mount for the other spot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the three strikers. Well, I think uh, Kane, Mashford, and um, Sterling. I'd go with K- 
Kane and Sterling, definitely. Probably put Sancho in ahead of Rashford. Either way, I'm still happy. Yeah. Probably get away as well. We're probably putting someone like Ings down one of the wings as well if we really needed someone. Did that for Liverpool? No, no, Chris. We're not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> Square pegs and round holes. No, we have actually forgotten Foden. I, I don't know. Yeah, Foden in midfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with what I've got. I'll, I'm going to go Grealish and Mount. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, that sounds like a good team. Might let in a few goals, but you know, at least we're going to try and win matches. Well, five four. <laughs> yeah. Look at that qualifying. Won six nil, seven nil. Loads of goals in the team. Yeah, true. Also, this this next tournament, there's not many strong teams in it. There's so many teams going through a rebuilding phase, like Germany, Spain. France don't know their best team at the minute. But I'd say England were looking like they're going to be favourites at one point. If it's going to be played at Wembley again, most of most of England's games, then we definitely got a chance. But there's there's talk of them making it just one country now. Oh, okay. And they reckon it's Russia. Oh, fair enough. All right, so I think we've picked our team. That about wraps it up. So you happy with our eleven then, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we uh, disgraced ourselves back in March? Uh, no, I don't think so. At times. <laughs> I think one of us did at a certain moment. <laughs> no, I just went by the label at the time. <laughs> Half of England's strike force won't, won't be playing in Euro 2020. Well, you've got to take who, who, who you can get hold of. For one game only <laughs> against Croatia. Yeah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. oh, well, good I'm point. sticking by it. <laughs> no, well done for sticking by it. Yeah, I've got to respect you sticking to your guns. I think Troy is a player who um, really suits the way that Watford play. and I'm a big fan of his. I think what he brings to their team and the way that he, uh, he leads their team in, in the way that they play and uh, in the games they have. Um, but I think we play slightly differently, and um, uh, I think that um, you know, for me, the next forward players that I see that, that should be challenging are, are some of the younger ones. What did you make of that when you heard it, Troy? Um, I respected it. I'm actually glad that my name's been brought up in the conversation. Um, yeah, I think it just leads back into our conversation, what we were talking about earlier, with like, people like Rashford. And you know, I'm not saying it should be an England team ahead of Rashford. I'm just saying that. What is there to do now? Do you have to, what's the criteria to get an England call? Do you have to be playing? Do you have to be scoring? Or do you just have to be young and at a, a big club that and the manager likes it? Next up, we're going to go on to Warnock Watch. You're leading the Chargers this week. I am. Okay, so since we last visited Mr. Warnock, uh, Middlesbrough drew nil nil with. Then league leaders Reading. Uh, they followed that up with a 1 0 away win at fellow tabletoppers Bristol. Four days later, they drew away at Cardiff, but got back to winning ways with a 2 0 home win over Coventry and a 1 0 home win over Forest. Um, start of November saw them draw 0 0 at Blackburn, meaning that they're currently sixth in the league this season, which is good going. Um, this weekend, they face Brentford. And this week, Brentford boss came out and said, 
Borough know their style to perfection under special Neil Warnock. Um, I think it might be a, a possibly a dig and a compliment all in one there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, Warnock has also been outspoken uh, lately and he's gone oh, against really? the person Mr Guardiola <laughs> oh. as to whether football should carry on playing in lockdown 2.0. He said, I disagree totally with what Pep said. It was bad enough that we weren't allowed to have fans in before this latest lockdown, especially with successful trials. Um, you have to realise how important it is for towns and the people that we are that we are able to continue. It's so important, and I'm glad the government have recognised that. As football clubs, we can be a beacon in this time, which I think he has a valid point. Obviously, yeah. Mr Northerner himself, so he, he's well aware of how important the especially up north, clubs are to towns. No, definitely. I don't know if Chris Yeah, yeah. Um, got for uh, his run, is the longest and beaten run in England at the moment. <laughs> I think they've only lost the, the first game of the season and they've won four, drawn five. And he's conceded one goal in the last 540 minutes. That's the Warnock way though, isn't it? <laughs> Really is. He, that guy knows the championship like the back of his hand. Um, I did listen to an interview with him actually. Um, quite interesting. This is this was during the VAR David Coots. So that was Everton Liverpool, wasn't it? He was the VAR yeah. guy in charge. So this was a uh, the Monday after. Um, so on the interview, they were talking obviously about. Um, the coronavirus, and then he, he did comment saying he's only just started tasting, tasting the scotch this week. He spent two <laughs> weeks just drinking scotch but couldn't taste it. Um, obviously, they, they then spoke about Mesut Ozil because at that time he didn't make the squads for Arsenal for the Europa League and, and the league. And he said he'll take him uh, for four, 4K a week. <laughs> I don't know whether whether that'd be a big enough uh, whether that might turn his head, but you never know. Wait until oh, play. <laughs> and then they commented on uh, David Coo, and he goes, "Oh, he's a lovely guy." Um, the interviewer then said, "I think he might be refereeing your game this weekend." Then Ronald goes, "Yeah, that's why I said it." I thought that was quite good. Um, that's really all I've got for him uh, this week. So hopefully his run continues and the surge to promotion might be be on course. Yeah, it's going well, isn't it? Impressive. Bright start, isn't it? As much as I love Warnock, I don't want Middlesbrough back in the Premiership. I'm not a fan of them. Oh. The Liverpool bogey team, they always have been. <laughs> You're going on about the three-all draw first game of the season. And no, it's that one. It was the one we lost to the year we nearly won the title under Rapper, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both very much for your comments on Neil Warnock. We'll obviously uh, keep all the fans updated. Uh, but next, I just wanted to touch on fantasy football. So, top of the league is still Deportivo La Coruña. It's Adam Porter with 487 points. And in a, between the three of us, Ant is heading the, heading the charge with 379 points. So, good points off the pace, collectively. <laughs> 
Yeah, we need to um, roll our sleeves up a bit there, Dan. I see you've overtaken yeah, me as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm in second place. I'm on 363 points. So I'm only 13 behind Ants, but um, Ants in 17th and I'm in 29th. That's how close the league is in the middle. <laughs> wow. Chris, you're in 36th place. Chris, you've got 336 points. You, you, like you say, you're catching us up, though. Makes I'm on a good. charge. I'm on a, I'm on a charge. <laughs> I've, I've done my usual tactic of putting Barkley and Zaha in, and they've done that all since. <laughs> Happens every awesome. season. One day I'll learn. <laughs> well, I'm going to give a shout-out to the, the highest score that we had in the fantasy football this week, and that was to Jamie Butler. His team name's Two Girls, One Schlup. All heard that one before now. <laughs> points last week. It was helped out by Kurt Zuma getting a goal in the clean sheet, 14 points. Uh, Bamiang, 8 points. Grealish, 15 points. Mount, 6 points. Mo Werner, he was his captain, so that was 14 points he bagged. And then he's also got Ollie Watkins and Dominic Calvert Lewin. Uh, solid lineup and a great week for Jamie Butler. Yeah, can I, well, can I just say my, my favourite team name in, in the whole league is Lalana's in pajamas. That makes me laugh every time I look at the table. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> right. Now, next up, we have the good, the bad, the obscure. Now, so far, my entries have been Winston Bogard and John Williams. So I'd say pretty bad and pretty obscure. So this week, I'm going to try and talk about someone who I thought was good. You might not have heard of this guy. He's someone who I'm familiar with through YouTube videos because uh, I didn't get the chance to see much of him at the time. I've gone for Dragon Stoiker. Okay. Any familiar to either of you? Uh, heard of it, but... I can't say. I, the name rings a bell with me, so do go on. Okay, yeah, he's, he's not very well known in this country, to be honest. Um, so he's a Yugoslavian player. He... Uh, Played for his local team, Radniki Nice, back in 1981. At the age of 16, he made his first appearance for them. He was a sort of attacking midfielder, sometimes used as a striker in his, uh, in his younger days. Uh, in 1986, he moved to Red Star Belgrade, where he became one of the best footballers in their history. He was quite prolific uh, from midfield. He got 54 goals in 120 games. He was uh, recognised as being one of the best players in Red Star Belgrade. And he was the fifth player to be awarded the title, the Star of Red Star. And he went to the 1990 World Cup as part of a, a Yugoslavia team, which on paper, they had a phenomenal lineup, really. And he was sort of the crown jewel in that team. He scored two goals in a game against Spain, put them into the knockout phases. And uh, he was uh, playing up against uh, Maradona, as Yugoslavia were actually knocked out by Argentina on penalties. Incidentally, both Stojkovic and Maradona missed the penalty in that shootout as well. So it's a disappointing end for uh, Stojkovic and for that great Yugoslavia team. But then he moved after that World Cup to Marseille and he joined an all-star lineup that had uh, Jean-Pierre Papin, Eric Cantona, Chris Waddle, Didier Deschamps, Abidi Pelli, Basil Bolli. And Frank Beckenbauer was the coach, fresh after winning the World Cup with West Germany. So he did manage to capture a Champions League or European Cup winner's medal with Marseille. Uh, 
unfortunately, it was uh, playing against his old team, Red Star, the year before. And that game went to penalties and he refused to take a penalty against his old club, saying if he, if he scores for Marseille, he'll be hated in Yugoslavia. And if he misses, then he'll be hated at Marseille. So he, he refused to take a penalty and they lost the game. Now, unfortunately, his time at Marseille was hindered by some knee injuries and he ended up never recovering his true form or achieving his true potential. So he ended up moving to Japan and joining Rampus 8 in the newly formed J-League and playing alongside Garen Lineker. Now, it was at Japan where he really he became well-known for all this flamboyant play and almost taking the mickey out of players because he had so much more talent than them. He could pull the strings, he could dribble with the ball, with these mazy runs. He often had these incredible flicks where he'd just uh, jump up in the air and back heel it to someone. Or he could keep you up his on the run, as Zidane used to do. If you watch the YouTube videos that I've been watching of him, he, uh, he was a free-kick specialist. He could place the ball in off the post from 30 yards. He scored directly from corners. And he quite often rounded the goalkeeper, rounded the defenders a couple of times, and then walked the ball onto the goal and tapped it in. It was just so easy for him. And he's one of these people where you could see he just loved playing his game. When he was in Japan, that's where he was in his element, and he played his best football. So it's, it's one of these cases where he just never really got the chance to showcase his true potential in Europe and in the UK. So he won't be well known, but he's such a talented player. The YouTube videos of watching Dragon Stoikovic were some of my favourites. Just to finish off his career, though, he had his swan song in the uh, Euros 2000 tournament playing for Yugoslavia. And there's a game against uh, Germany where he, despite being the ripe age of 35, he showed he was so graceful and had such vision in midfield, pulling the strings. He was the best player on the pitch again. Really caught the eye with all his flicks and touches. Uh, but yeah, just a joy to watch. Fair enough, that's a good one, that is. So nice to have a good one instead of a bad or an obscure one. Mixing it up a bit. The Shanks yeah. one's going to be a good one as well. You beat me to it, but that is a good one. I've never heard of him. I should be looking them up. Yeah, I think we'll have to post the video on uh, social media so people can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So next up, we're going to be looking at our top 10 Premier League goal scorers. So first off, how have you found the list? Um, I've, I found it quite hard because there's lots of, you know, there's plenty of candidates who are just trying to whittle it down to 10 whilst yeah. trying to be different. No, that's <laughs> there's, a, there's about 16 to 20 that easily could have made the list for, all, for any of us, I'd say. And then also, we don't want to all have the same list, do we? So, it's a standard um, Dan, 
list for us to do, wasn't it? And sort of difficult where you got a choice of about 20 to 30. And then the, the annoying thing that you have is you get your 10 and then you suddenly think of another another person and you're like, I can't do that one now, surely. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, do I? And then you sleep on it and go, actually, I'm going to add him back in. And then it's like, who do I take out? I can't take out anybody. My, my order changed. I don't know how many times. Right up to about half an hour for the podcast. Yeah, no right or wrong answers. It's uh, it's all opinion based. If we're going to go on on numbers and facts, we all have the same list, so there's no fun in that. So uh, let's kick it off then, um, Chris. Would you mind kicking us off with your number ten, please? Yeah, sure. I've gone with Kevin Phillips. Anyone else gone with him? No, he was heavily considered. Good, good. He joined Sunderland from Watford. July 1997, um, for about 600 grand. Famously, the pundit at the time, I think he's a Sky pundit, Rodney Marsh, predicted that Kevin Phillips would struggle and only score five to six goals at the highest level. How wrong was he? He got 30 goals and won the Golden Boot and uh, the European Golden Shoe. I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast. I think Ant has. I'm right. The, the players outside top six. That's it. Uh, then in January 2001, he scored his 104th goal for Sunderland, breaking the club's post-war goal-scoring record. He actually gave up penalties as well because he missed three on the trot. Um, his record at Sunderland was 235 matches and he got 130 goals. He moved to Southampton in August 2003 and he got um, 13 goals in total from 37 appearances. In the season of uh, 2004-05, Southampton got relegated, but Phillips still managed to get 10 goals in 30 games. Joined Villa in 2005, then followed by a move to West Brom. And he was actually in the PFA Team of the Year, scored 16 and 22 goals in the two seasons he was there. I mean, as a goal scorer, you must all agree he was possibly one of the one of the best. Na- natural finisher. Shame he didn't get more England caps, but during that time... England had so many quality strikers that I think he, if it was a few years afterwards, I reckon he could have been a regular. Here's something that he quoted about um, one of his old managers, about Howard Wilkinson. And he goes, um, Howard Wilkinson, he came in with a plastic carrier bag in his hand. And straight away, all the lads are looking at each other and thinking, what's he doing now? He starts going on about who's going to stand up who is going to grasp the nettle. Which one of you lads is going to do that? Because I'll tell you, I'll grasp the nettle if none of you do it. So at the point, he opens the carrier bag, puts his hand in the carrier bag, and brings out a great big bunch of stinging nettles. So he says, there you are. I've grasped the nettle. I've done it. I've shown that I'm the man. He goes round and says, who wants to take them? All the lads are like, I'm not taking them. So he puts them back in the bag and carries on with the team talk. While he, he's doing the team talk, I just want to watch his hand, as you can see. 
Well, he's doing the team talk. <laughs> his hand is shaking. He stung the hair out of his hand and it's swelled up. Uh, that Howard Wilkinson. Was that when he was the manager at um, Sunderland? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I don't think it it started or ended particularly well there. But it written all over it, didn't it? It was a, it was a joint job as well, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Um... Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Steve Cottrell, yeah, I think. Steve Cottrell, that's it, yeah. But yeah, I thought I thought he deserved a, a shout out at the top ten. Yeah, he was definitely considered by me. I think maybe one of the reasons I left him off was because I spoke about him in a previous podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good pick, Chris. Well done. And so, have you gone for a number ten? <laughs> I, I would love to tell you it's Noel Whelan, but it, it, it's not. I haven't really gone for Noel Whelan. Um, but this one might shock you even more. <laughs> okay. I've gone with, actually, before I start, I'll just say my top 10, I've left off players still currently playing in the Premiership, just to make oh, it a bit different. Okay. okay, fair enough. It's not to say I don't think the great strikers, they are goal scorers, they are, but I just thought I need a, a reason to drop some names. So I did. Um, so my number 10, I've gone with Adam LaFondra. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> Is he on your Adam list? Adam I was going to give him an honourable mention. So, the reason I put him in, he played one Premiership season. Um, and in that season, he played 1,492 minutes of football in total, which is about 16 and a half games. In those minutes, he scored 12 goals. And he only started 11 games all season. Um, his final eight strikes all came from the bench. And he scored seven equalisers, two winners for, for Reading. And he was named January's Player of the Month, despite playing less than 90 minutes in total that month. <laughs> and I just thought, as a goal scorer, right, you, you don't get much better than that, do you? No. I, I thought it was, it was worth a mention. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll brush over what he's done before and after because he hasn't done very much since. I don't think. Yeah, I, I found another stat on him. Um, basically, just backs up everything you said. That um, of players that have scored ten Premier League goals or more, he's actually the sixth all-time on goals per minute in Premier League history. <laughs> we must have looked at the same article, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings me nicely onto my number 10 because it's a, it's a little bit similar. <laughs> I've gone for Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, fair enough. He's actually scored 42 Premier League goals in 103 appearances. It's not a bad return at all. Also, um, game ratio of 0.41. And the main reason I've picked him is that he actually ranks fourth all time on the goals per minute ratio on that list. Wow. Because he's made so many appearances as a substitute for Man City, and he's also got goals late in games. Uh, when you whack, uh, when you look at his actual playing time and the number of goals he scored, he's uh, fourth of all time in the Premier League. It's impressive. Yeah, he's impressive. He's definitely um, a great impact player. Um, I think he's very um, underrated, to be honest. He does a, He reminds me a lot like um, what sort of Flamina, Flamino does at Liverpool. Does it, he works really hard. He's young as well, very young, sort of 22, 23. So he's still got, he's probably his, his 
big big years coming up. Yeah, there's always that talk about taking the mantle from Aguero if and when he decides to leave. So far, he, he looks like a good player, doesn't he? Aguero's been out injured. He's played and yeah. he's scored, by and large. That's why he's got the good yeah. he's got. He's a, he's a good striker. There's more to come. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Adam LaFondre should be, like, in terms of names, should be anywhere near this list. But <laughs> No, no, I know. And I'm the same on Jesus, if I'm honest. But look at it as... Uh, you know, you can't argue with the records up to date. All right, uh, Chris, use your number nine. Yeah, um, Sir Les Ferdinand. Number, oh, nine. number nine. Number nine, yeah. What about you, Ant? He was, again, he was definitely considered. Um, I'll just quickly go through, if that's all right, Dan, if you want to add anything on top. Yeah, of course, go on. Uh, obviously, the Premier League started in 92 93. Uh, he actually established himself as a top striker, scoring 20 goals in 37 games. That was his best season he had um, out of the, three, the first three. He then continued with that vein of form, um, scoring 16 goals in 24 games um, in both seasons before a £6 million move to Newcastle. Spent two seasons there. Um, overall, at Newcastle, he scored 50 goals in only 84 appearances. Obviously, um, had a great partnership with Shearer and was then known as Sir Les, Sir Les, sorry, on Tyneside. Um, bought to Spurs for £6 million, and he was also the person that scored the 10,000th goal in Premier League history in the 15th of December 2001. He then followed up with a move to West Ham and then joined Leicester at the age of 37 in their, injury, in their relegation season, but still managed to score 12 goals. Um, stats for him in his whole career, he actually got 351 um, appearances, 149 goals and 49 assists. Um, I've got a funny story for you. It's Gaza related, so obviously it's going to be a bit mad. Okay. So this is this is um, Gaza speaking. Sorry. So in the dressing room, there's Ferdinand. I swear down. When he took his clothes off, you should have seen the size of his willy. He made mine look small. I went, Les, Les, please let me have the hold of your willy. So let me have a hold of it. And I went and played a blinder and scored. I went, right, that's brilliant, that is. So the next next uh, game at Wembley, Les, get it out. And every time we played for England, Les went, hurry up and get this over and done with, Gaza. <laughs> I thought that's brilliant. He's a great player, fantastic player. Yeah, great finish. And he always seemed to come, come across as a really nice bloke as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, those 149 Premier League goals, that puts him 11th all-time on the list. And he got a, a healthy uh, 0.41 goals per game ratio. But another thing that was interesting is that he's, uh, he's one of a few players that moved uh, directly from non-league football to top-flight football. And uh, you mentioned he's called Sellers up north. He's actually an MBE. He's called Sellers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I think we're on to Ants number nine. Yeah, so my number nine, um, 
a little-known player uh, by the name of uh, Andy Cole. Yep. I don't know if he's on your list. Uh, here's another one where I, I felt like I should put him on. In the end, he didn't quite get on there. So I'm glad you put him on. Fair enough. He's the third ever highest goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, you take out penalties. Cole's got one, Shearer's got 56. He actually has a better goals per game ratio than Shearer. Um, it, it could be argued that Cole had probably a better service uh, at the clubs he was at than maybe Shearer did. Um, and Cole adapted to whoever he was playing with. He had good partnerships with Beardsley and then obviously had it with uh, Dwight York. Um, he also had a good partnership with Teddy Sheringham, even though the pair of them hated each other and didn't speak to each other. <laughs> um, and I always thought he had, a, he had a good mental strength about him because he came back from pneumonia in '96. Whilst coming back from it and playing in the reserves, he had both his legs broken by Neil Ruddock. And he, he always he always seemed to get sort of picked on in, in in the media, and yeah, he always seemed to respond with brilliant performances. Um, I think there was talk of him getting replaced at United by um, Marcelo Salas, and the next game he went out and banged in a hat trick. Um, but in terms of finishing, I mean, he, he could finish anything on his day: headers, tappings, volleys, bicycle kicks, outside the box, inside the box. He was just he was an absolutely great player. And uh, the reason I've put him at number nine is for me, he was very much a confidence player. Was, when, it, when it was going for him, he was flying and he was banging in goals left, right, and centre. But he's capable. He, he was capable of some horrendous misses. I remember one he did for England, which was just against Finland. I think it was awful. Um, and then there was, the, I think, it was the FA Cup against Liverpool. He just looked like he was a bag of nerves. And he was on the verge of a breakdown. Um, but like I said, when he was on form, he was absolutely relentless, and his his movement off the ball was phenomenal. And yeah, he he certainly knew where the net was. Exactly what you said there, and um, I couldn't quite remember who he had the feud with. And then when you said Sheringham, I remember now. But internationally, I don't think like the way he was dealt with by Hoddle was particularly well well done because he obviously came out in the media and said that he wasn't picked for the 90, 1998 World Cup due to him needing six or seven chances to score a goal. I mean, to come out and say something like that about a striker of, of Cole's, um, you know, his whole reputation, I think it's pretty disgraceful looking back on it now as an adult myself. When I, when you were younger, you always used to like, like Ant said, when you missed an open goal, oh no, Andy Cole, we've got Andy Cole playing for us. He was <laughs> massive ridicule, wasn't it? Uh, it made me laugh with that because I saw that Hoddle thing. And, uh, like, no one ever listens to Hoddle. And yet the media latched onto that quote and it stuck with Andy Cole. I, I honestly do agree with you with that. I think it just stuck, and I, I think it stuck with when other managers after Hoddle as well. But no, I, I put him at number five because um, just because of his record that he had, it speaks volumes. Like I'm saying, third highest ever scorer in Premier League history, and and he's just got that tenacity, like you said. Um, at Man U, he could have moved a couple of times. But forced, he tried to force his way still into the team when obviously Ferguson was trying to replace him with various strikers like Van Nistelrooy. But he was still coming off the bench and scoring goals, even then. No, that's fair. Enough. His yeah. goal scoring record was phenomenal. 
I, I tried to focus more on the, what they did in the Premiership than what they yeah. did overall. But yeah, I can see yeah. I can see where you're coming from, Chris. Okay, well, thank you both for that one. Uh, we're on to number eight now, Chris. Who have you got your number eight? Yeah, my number eight is Jamie Vardy, out and out goal scorer. Leicester got promoted in 2014. He only actually scored five goals in that season out of 34 appearances. Then became the 2015-16 season. Um, He actually reached seven goals by September. Player of the Month in October 2015. And then, of course, there's this consecutive game record uh, that he managed to do 11 with 24 league goals, Vardy was the second top scorer in that season. Um, he was also in the PFA Team of the Year and was also named um, FWA Football of the Year and was Barclays Premier League Player of the Season. And scored his first professional hat trick the season after against Man City. Got um, 13 goals that season. Um, then the following season, he netted his 50th Premier League goal. That season, he actually got in 37 appearances, 20 goals. Uh, then 2018-19, in those 34 appearances, he scored 18 goals. Then finally, last season, he became the first Leicester player to reach a 100-goal milestone and 29th overall in league history. Of the 29 players to have scored 100 Premier League goals, only Ian Wright made his debut in the competition at an older age than Vardy did. And then he proceeded to um, come out with 23 goals and won the Premier League Golden Boot last season. Just as a goal scorer, though, excellent, wasn't it? Isn't he? Just unbelievable. I mean, I think he had at one point last season something like a conversion rate of 60% of shots. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I've got number seven on my list. Uh, everything you've said, you've, you've covered really well. Um, so overall, he's got 110 Premier League goals in 217 appearances. So that's just just over a goal every two games. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with what you, what you both say. He's an absolutely great striker. He shows no signs of slowing down. No. Unfortunately for rivals. <laughs> All right, so who did you go for at number eight, Hans? I went with Robin Van Persie. Snap. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've kind of, I've narrowed in on him a little bit, so I'll I'll say what I've got and then you can add to... I've not got much, go for it. Okay. So, I mean, he's kind of another late bloomer, um, but he, he scored 96 goals in 194 appearances for Arsenal. Um, in his final season for Arsenal, he scored against 17 of 19 opponents, racking up 30 goals plus seven in the Cups um, and winning both Player of the Season awards. Um, and then at the age of 29, he, he decided that he didn't want to be at Arsenal anymore. He wanted to go on and do something else. So obviously Man City came calling for him, um, which then prompted Alex Ferguson to jump into action and break a rule of not signing an old player. And he signed for Man United for £22.5 million plus some add-ons. I wanted to focus on um, Fergie's last season, which is the season that Chris, I think Chris mentioned before when we talked about teams that won the league. 
and so how you know I remember Chris saying how how did how did United win the league that season? It's like well, Van Persie was the answer. Yeah, um, they they won sixteen games that season with a narrow margin. Ten of those featured one of um, Van Persie's twenty six goal haul. Um, he only didn't score against three teams that season, which was Norwich, QPR, and Swansea, I believe. But he did assist in that uh, in those games, and he scored more than thirty percent of United's goals that season. To put it into context, Rooney was second highest that season, twelve. Right. <laughs> he was he was just a phenomenal goal scorer, and some of the goals he scored were just incredible. And if he hadn't played for two of Liverpool's biggest rivals, I'd be an even bigger fan of him. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like all players, you, you, as as good as they are, you you have to be a bit jealous and a bit hateful of them because they're playing for your rivals. Yeah, it was. Good player, wasn't it? Uh, so, like, like I said, I went at my number eight as well. Um, with the those two seasons you mentioned at Arsenal and Man U, he actually got back-to-back Golden Boot awards uh, with two different teams, which is quite a rarity in the Premier League. Uh, his goals per game ratio is um, exactly the same as Jamie Vardy, 0.51. Well, I've got those two, seven and eight on my list. And the thing about Van Persie, you mentioned... Um, admiring the way he plays. He's just one of those players where he had great technique and great imagination, wasn't he? He really could create his own goals. Yeah. I think of that, that volley he did against Aston Villa. Yeah. That's the one I always comes to mind when I think of it. Yeah. And the other one of his goals comes to mind was that header he did in the World Cup, I think it was. When he yeah. Oh, yeah. On I the dive. Like they were yeah. totally out it, it changed the game that did. I think they were getting battered by Spain and um, he scored that goal, that header from sort of outside the box. Yeah. Unbelievable finish. Yeah, just great imagination and awareness. It's a good, very, very good player. Underrated, to be honest. And obviously, I'll yeah. put him as one of my um, the shock moves. And I still think that Arsenal fans must be kicking themselves for letting him go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I've got number number eight is Van Persie. So that takes us to number seven then, Chris. That was actually Van Persie as well for me. <laughs> oh, you kept that quiet. <laughs> uh, well, you know. uh, so number seven to Ant. I've gone with Wayne Rooney. Okay. Mm. I'll be honest, I've not put him on my list. Okay. He's my number two. Fair enough. Um, so obviously he burst onto the scene at 16 with that goal against Arsenal and what goal it was uh, and he went on to score 17 goals in 77 appearances for Everton before he had an absolutely amazing Euros and Mr Fergie came calling for him there was a lot of doubters saying that could this young kid live up to the hype of playing for Manchester United and blah 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 but he soon put those doubters to bed, myself included, when he scored that hat-trick against, uh, I think it was Fenerbahce, yeah. Champions League. I know it's not Premiership, but it just shows what type of player he is. Um, he, again, he's, he's one of these players who can score from absolutely anything, with anything, from any area of the pitch. Um, I remember I remember vividly, uh, he was on the verge of getting subbed, I think it was against Newcastle, because he hadn't really done much, he was a bit frustrated 
and the, the his replacement of it was was about literally pulling up his socks and getting ready to come on, and then this ball just bounced in front of Rooney, and he didn't even break stride and just walloped it into the top corner, and then he broke the net. Probably still travelling somewhere, um, <laughs> but. I've, I've put him this low, not because I don't think he's a good goal scorer. He's a fantastic goal scorer, but I think he could have been better in terms of the amount of goals he scored, like, which is a credit to him. But I think he he focused more on the team rather than himself, and he obviously dropped a bit deeper. I think when Skulls left, he took up that mantle of sort of number eight role. Um, it makes you wonder what would happen if he had stayed up front. I don't know whose choice that was for him to play there, whether it was his or Fergie's or whoever, but could he have gone on and really challenged maybe even Shearer's record had he stayed as an actual out-and-out striker? I think so. I think they made. I think they missed a trick with that, I'll be honest with you. I think they should have stuck with him there and bought someone to be play that midfielder instead. Yeah. In my opinion, he's an out-and-out, as much as I'd... I don't personally never been a massive fan of him as a person. I, I haven't. I haven't either. If I'm being honest, but, um, as a third party watching some of the goals he scores and his vision, like uh, I don't know if you saw. I know we're not talking about Premier League, but the MLS thing that he did, where he tracked back, which was a rarity in the Premier League terms, <laughs> he seemed to do then, and he tackled that guy who was almost in on goal. And he played that ball straight into the box to set that guy up. Again, though, as a whole, he's he had um, 491 appearances, 208 goals. Like Ant said, a lot of assists, 103. Wow, yeah. Pro- probably adds a bit of fuel to the fire with what Ant said there, that possibly if he was a little bit less unselfish, he probably could have got even more. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, mean, I left him off my list because his goals per game ratio was uh, only 16. Um, but to be honest, you, you're absolutely right. He did more for the team than just goal scoring. He's a, he's a great player and he was a very good goal scorer as well. One of the best. He's right up there. All right. Um, so that, went, that was your number seven. I've got Jamie Vardy as my number seven. I think we're moving on to number six. Okay, for me, number six is, we spoke about him a few times tonight, Mr. Harry Kane. Has anyone else got him there? I obviously haven't, but... I've actually put him as number one. Have you? (laughs) Okay. Uh, He was given his first Premier League start in April 14, in a 5-1 win um, against Sunderland. Scored his first Premier League goal as well. Uh, named on the, in the same year PFA Young Player of the Year and he won um, Premier League Player of the Month for January and February of 2015. Uh, 21 league goals in the season and also became um, club captain. 15-16, uh, he became top scorer, won the Golden Boot with 25 goals and again he was in the Team of the Year. 2016-17, uh, league runner-up, uh, second golden boot, 29 goals. 17-18, Tottenham's top, top scorer in the Premier League era, broke Teddy Sheringham's record of 97 goals for the club. Scored 30 goals again in the league. 2018-19, uh, 
Champions League runners-up, had quite a lot of injuries, but still managed to be the um, club's top scorer in European competitions. Um, came out with 24 goals, scored in 29 appearances, 17 of them in the Premier League. Uh, last season, uh, injured his hamstring, but then obviously due to COVID, he managed to play quite a lot of games still. Got 18 goals in 29 league games. Overall, he's got 361 appearances, 211 goals, 24 assists. All those stats just show what a great striker he is, isn't it, really? <laughs> and a natural yeah. finisher. Yeah, you're right. So, like I said, I, I actually put him at number one on my list. And the reason for that is uh, he's got 149 goals in 217 Premier League appearances. That's the best goal per game ratio in Premier League history. And he's not slowing down. I think when it's all said and done, he's going to be the greatest. No, fair enough. I mean, he's really made massive strides, didn't he, from when he first started at Spurs, when he broke through to the first team, to then suddenly grasping that chance and scoring so many goals. Grasping the net off. Presses. <laughs> Would you, you have put him in your top into the season as well, though? They are impressive numbers. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's on to 10 goals, I think, already this season and eight assists, which is just ridiculous. That's playing for a defensive Mourinho team as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, number six for you, Ant. Oh, I need to change at the last minute just now, but I'm going (laughs) to stick with it. Um, I've gone Ian Wright. Okay. Okay. I don't, know, I don't know if he features at all. He was very nearly in mine. I was about to write up about him, but then I decided not to. Yeah, he was the sort of the one on the bubble for me. I really wanted to put him on, but I didn't in the end. So I'm really glad you did. Again, he's one of these players that when I was a kid, I actually hated him, but respected him at the same time. So how good he was. Um, <laughs> but he, he was another late bloomer. Um, I seem to have a lot of these. Uh, he signed his first uh, professional contract for Crystal Palace in, uh, at the age of 22, 1985. By 1991, he was uh, an Arsenal player, despite many raised eyebrows. Um, he soon put the doubters to bed with a hat-trick against uh, Southampton on his debut. Uh, that form then continued into the Premiership. Um, and he wasn't just a, a, a great goal scorer, but he was a scorer of great goals. Yeah, he, um, he was... Absolutely brilliant on that little death chip he used to do with the goalkeeper. Um, in 213 Premier League appearances, he scored 113 goals. And the reason the reason I put him in, in the list and so high up is because for most of his Premier League career at Arsenal, um, he played for a very defensive Arsenal team. You know, the old 1-0 to the Arsenal. Yeah. They, they didn't have the... Uh, creativity that, say, I don't know, uh, Omri and Anelka perhaps had behind them. Um, they had very defensive-minded players. They probably would have fit in the Southgate's England team, actually. Um, <laughs> but he still found the net uh, a ridiculous amount of times. Um, and it wasn't until 1995 when Dennis Burkham arrived that there was finally someone that was there to unlock some defences for him. The pair of them were absolutely formidable. And it's such a shame that Wright and Burkham didn't play together sort of earlier on in his career because 
they would have been absolutely deadly together. Uh, but in six Premiership seasons, he's played for Arsenal. He scored uh, ten plus goals every season, and thirty in all competitions four times. Uh, and even even at West Ham, he, he managed to get nine goals in twenty two games, which is deadly in front of goal. And obviously, by the time the Premiership rolled along, he was probably nearing the end of his playing days. But you can't you can't knock his his stats one hundred thirteen in. 213. Absolutely. No, he's a great finisher. And he was um, so determined, wasn't he? He'd put his head in where it hurt and he had no fear. He really went after defences, didn't he? And also, it's the tenacity, isn't it? He was turned down by several clubs in his youth. And then he um, obviously was working. I think he was like doing bricklaying or something. And then... Somebody said to him, "I'll oh, go to the go to these trials," and then he managed to sort of get himself in by the sort of non-league route, a bit like Vardy before Vardy's time, sort of thing. Well, yeah, he's another one that, like Ferdinand, he moved from non-league to the top flight. Yeah, any of them about? Yeah, but a fantastic finisher as well. Like um, I can't say. Right, my number six. I've gone for Frank Lampard. Now, I was debating whether this, this guy could even have gone higher on the list. When you think about goals per games for a midfielder, this guy scored 177 Premier League goals of midfield, which is just unparalleled. If you think about how much difference that makes to a team, having a midfielder score that many goals, then he's MVP by a mile. So he had to go on my list. Um, goals per game ratio is obviously lower because he was a midfielder, but it's still 0.29, 177 goals and 609 appearances. That's on par with other strikers like Peter Crouch and Emil Heskey, to put that in perspective. But to get that number of Premier League goals from midfield, I just thought it's incredible. Well, that's why I've gone for a midfielder, Frank Lampard, at number six. Yeah, that's a good shout. I, he was actually the first name I wrote down in my top ten. Um Right. He, he ended up moving off the top ten. Uh, again, he's one of those I wanted to put in, but I, just, I don't know. I just decided to talk about different players. Uh, no, yeah, I've always been a huge fan of Lampard. He's a great, a great midfielder and a great player. Top scorer for about three seasons on the trot, I think, as well for Chelsea, like you said. Wow. Yeah, his goal-scoring uh, credentials for midfield, I think he doesn't get enough credit. Those those records are astounding. They really are. Yeah. Uh, Chris, who have you got at number five? I had Mr. Cole. Okay. Okay. I've gone with uh, Luis Suarez at number five. Okay. Um, I mean, he's absolutely deadly. Uh, he, he scored 69 goals in 110 appearances for Liverpool. And he never once took a penalty. Which is you know like taking nothing away from other other strikers, they normally have some penalties to the names. Um, he's just he made every player around him up their game. Um, the same when he went to Barcelona, yeah, they were they were a great Barcelona team, and they got even better. Even Messi got better. Um, and some of the goals he scored as well just just defied logic at times. I, I still there was a volley he scored against Norwich. I still don't know how he got his leg round the ball. I think he scored, didn't he score like um, three hat-tricks against Norwich yeah. on the trot? Yeah. 
I think Norwich fans will be fed up of hearing of that guy's name. I think Paul Ruddy's probably fed up of hearing about him. <laughs> but no, for me, he he was he was absolutely absolutely deadly finisher. Um, I know he was only in the in the Premiership for a short space of time, but sixty nine goals and one hundred and ten. Can't argue with that. No, brilliant. He's great. He was considered. He was considered, but I didn't know about his longevity in the Premier League. He, I know he was there for three seasons, but I tried to sort of take everything into account, not just you know yeah. goals per games and longevity. So. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. No, it's a good shout. That's a really good one. Uh, right, nine number five. This one might be a bit controversial. I've actually gone for Alan Shearer at number five. Oh, okay. So, um, is he... He's, uh, first he's one, my Shef, number one. He's my number one, one too. No, that's that's fine. That's perfectly justifiable. But um, the, the way I've looked at this is I've um, I've gone heavily on goals per game ratio. And he's got... A uh, huge amount of goals, 260, but in 441 appearances. That's a 0.59 goals per game. And I've actually got uh, four of the players with a higher ratio on my list. So that's the reason why he's at number five. But he's a three-time Golden Boot winner. And he's played for Blackburn and Newcastle in very attacking teams. And he played in such, for such a long time through the Premier League in different, uh, different stars, I'd say, especially when you consider how he got his goals at the end of his Newcastle career. He had a very different style and uh, aged quite gracefully in terms of uh, being a Premier League striker. I can go through some of the stats if you want. Um, I mean, he was three times top scorer, two times player of the year. Um, obviously won the, the Premier League with Blackburn. Uh, broke Jackie Milburn's 49-year record at the time of 200 goals for Newcastle, which I think think was a massive reason why he came back out of uh, retirement. Um, just just massively prolific, wasn't he, really? Um, he only missed one league game under Robson and notched up 23 goals. 2001-2 season, he bagged 23 goals in 30 seven league games. Um, then he got 2002-2003, 17 goals in 35 league games, 25 of the whole season due to um, cup games. So like you say, he's, the guy's just an absolute sort of animal really, wasn't he? I mean, unfortunately for him, I think he got cruciate um, injury when he was at Newcastle. And I think that slowed him down in- incredibly. I think if he didn't probably have that, he probably might have still been a bit more pacier and he wouldn't have been so one-dimensional. But once... Yeah, I think he adapted a bit. He, lost he did, pace. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Incredibly pace. good. He's back to goal and put on a bit more muscle. Yeah, he, he mm-hmm. became more of a hold-up um, player and... If the ball was in the box, you know that he was going to be on the end of it or know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah, great instincts. Yeah. yeah. And also, when he was at his best was in the uh, the early days of the Premier League where he had more games per season as well. So he got sort of a more of a chance to be at his best against these tiring defences playing all these games. I'm saying this slightly tongue-in-cheek, but yeah. <laughs> Got some uh, some other names to read out later. 
So um, we're on to number four now, Chris. Number four. I have gone with Mr. Robbie Fowler. Ooh, I have number three. Did you? Yeah. Um, what about you, Dan? Have you missed him out? Yeah, I didn't want to put too many Liverpool players on because I knew you guys had them all on. Oh, that's... <laughs> oh. Hey, he's my first one I think I've had on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, let me just let me just redo my list. I need to take Torres and Owen off yet. Hang on, hold on. <laughs> what about Daniel Sturridge? Oh yeah, and him, yeah. yeah Sterling <laughs> as well. He's the seventh highest goal scorer in the history of Premier League. He scored 183 goals. Uh, he scored um, on his first team debut in a three-one win against Fulham in 1993. Uh, he scored his first hat-trick against uh, Southampton in only his fifth league game. His th- first 13 games to the club yielded 12 goals. And he finished the club's leading scorer with 18 goals. He had his most successful season in 2000-2001. He scored uh, 17 goals and appeared in three finals, all which Liverpool won. Uh, went on for a move to Leeds in 2001. Despite decreasing form, he still managed 15 goals in 31 appearances for Leeds in 2000-2003. Sold on to Man City for £3 million. Still managed 11 goals in 32 games in 2004-2005. He then came back to Liverpool on a free. Uh, before he scored his first goal, he actually had three goals ruled out for offside. But he did manage to then get his first goal, 15th of March 2006 against Fulham. Then scored four goals in five games in 2006. Anything else to add there, Ant? Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a fair bit. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> For me, in my opinion, he is the best finisher that the Premier League's ever had yeah. because he was his his left foot was well, not just his left foot, his everything, his, his head as well. He was so precise. You know, a lot of strikers score scruffy goals, your shearers, your wearers, whatever. But I can't remember Fowler ever really scoring a scruffy goal. I think he's um, one of the most natural goal scorers you ever see. Yeah, definitely, and he just never missed, did he? It was always on target. I remember a header he scored. He, he must have been about millimetres off the grass, horizontal, and he managed to bend his neck at such an angle to get so much power on this board and knock it in the bottom corner. An incredible diving header. Um, uh, I found a quote from Jamie Redknapp, who was his teammate at the time, saying, he wasn't very tall, he wasn't athletic looking, had funny little legs, a paunch at times, no real strength if you compare him to modern footballers, Nobody, nobody could finish like him. I think that pretty much comes up Robbie Fowler. Um, he scored 80 goals in his first 135 appearances for Liverpool. And that was before he even got a, a, an England call-up. And then he sat on the bench at Euro 96, having scored 36 times for Liverpool the previous season. I know, obviously, England had great strikers at the time. Um and then the final stat I have for him is by the age of 21, he'd scored 64 Premier League goals. Uh, Owen only managed 55 and Rooney managed 44. And that, that, for me, is why I put him at number three. 
But yeah, great pick, great finisher. Definitely see why you got him on your list. I was hoping that someone would put him on. All right, who have you got number four, Ant? So, um, my number four is Rude Van Nisselrooy. Okay. So he's another one with a, a relatively short stay in the Premiership. Uh, he scored 95 goals in 149 appearances, which might please Dan. Um, yep. In five seasons at Man United, he scored 20-plus goals in four seasons. I think it was only... Uh, 04, 05, he managed less, which was six. That's because he was injured. Uh, but he, he did manage to score his personal best of eight in the Champions League. Uh, he was just, he wasn't particularly fast. He wasn't particularly skillful. He wasn't a good dribbler, but he just knew where to be at the right time, which is what you need from a striker. He was renowned for this mastery of the offside law that no matter how many times I changed the rules, he knew how to exploit it and how to stay onside. Um, and shake off a defender and put, put the ball in there. No, I like what you said there, because right? he is 100% a poacher, isn't he? There's nothing else yeah. in the game that really stands out, and yet his record was so good. Okay, so my number four, uh, I've actually gone for a Liverpool player. After all of that, Dan. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right, number four, I've gone for Mo Salah. Oh. So uh, Mo Salah has scored... 82 Premier League goals in 128 games. And that's uh, a goal, goals per game ratio of 0.64. That's the fourth best in Premier League history. He's a two-time Golden Boot winner. Obviously played in the Premier League for Chelsea initially, where he, he only managed two goals in 13 appearances. And then uh, someone decided he wasn't good enough for the Premier League and let him go uh, on loan to... Garantina and Roma. Obviously, they ended up paying the price for that as he made, made his way back to Liverpool in the Premier League. And his uh, goal scoring since is um, season by season 32 goals in 36 games, 22 goals in 38 games, 19 goals in 34 games. And this season, he's already got seven goals in seven games. He's, um, he's one of these strikers as well where he's got such pace, uh, but also great technique and skill. He really can create his own chances. I just think he's a, he's a fantastic talent at creating and scoring goals. I think you've got to put Klopp and clap him really for it as well, for giving him the confidence to do what he's doing. You know, to be then dropped by Chelsea and then he had a good run at Roma. He wasn't anything particularly spectacular. And then for what he's done since, he's just been phenomenal. And he, he really just seems to be a, a guy that is... Just playing at the top of his game, isn't he? He just not scared. Probably shoots a bit too much sometimes, but just <laughs> full of confidence, and that's that's what you want. You almost want that cockiness with a striker, don't you? Or forward, if you want to call him that. I was really underwhelmed when Liverpool signed him. I, I <laughs> thought what we spent money on this guy for, but he's he proved everyone wrong. And like Chris says, I do think at times he's a little bit too selfish. But I suppose it's part of being a striker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and his like his goal scoring record shows that he needs to be taking shots on because gets results. Yeah. Helps you to a league title. It's like Gary Lineker came out and said, I think it was on their podcast that he got stick for being selfish. It's like, well, if if Gary Lineker was the pass, two things could go wrong: one pass could go wrong, and two, the finish could go wrong. Whereas if he takes a shot, only one thing can go wrong. So, strike his logic. Yeah, like that. 
Right, Chris, did, who did you have at number three? Well, I've got Drogba. Uh, I left him off. Okay, no worries. Um, bought for 24, point, uh, sorry, 24 million uh, from Marseille, 2004. First season, um, he got 16 goals, uh, 40 games for Chelsea. Um, next season, he got 16 goals. Then he really hit form. The following season, he hit 33 goals in all competitions, including 20 in the Premier League to win the Golden Boot. He became the first Chelsea player since Kerry Dixon to reach 30 goals in a season. Won four premierships with Chelsea. Uh, in all of his uh, Chelsea appearances, which is eight years worth, uh, he got 226 appearances, 100 goals. And to be honest, I just think he was a fantastic sort of your lone striker. Strong, good in the air, very durable, had a, had pace and could finish when he had the chance to. And that's why I put him at number four. Fair enough. He's certainly a big game player. Every time it was a big yeah. game, he'd pop up with a goal in any competition. Very charismatic. Uh, as well. Without trying to sound like Dan too much, his, his goals per game ratio wasn't actually as good as some of the others on the list, <laughs> which is why I left him off. But I, I can see, you know, he was on my list actually for a long time, but in, in the end, I, I left him off. Yeah, for me, again, goals per game, that's why I've not made this list. But in terms of strikers, his, his all-round game, he, he absolutely dominated defences, top defence. He, he bullied them. He did, yeah. He was, he was a very, very good striker. So I, I seem to remember thinking back, when we did our greatest footballers of all time, uh, Chris, you left Maradona off your list because you thought he cheated too much. Yeah. Drop was diving. That's why he wasn't on my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drogba did the technical foul to an absolute key, didn't he? But you, can compare, you can't compare that to a World Cup semi-final against England and... I'm balling it over a keeper to an empty net. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that one there. <laughs> so, um, and who you got at number three? Fowler. Yeah, so I've got Robbie Fowler at number three. So over to you, Dan. Yeah, so my number three. I'll see if you can get, get it from this clue. He, um, he broke Maradona's record for the youngest player to play in Argentina. Great. Pardon? So, yeah, 15 years old and 35 days, he made his debut for Independiente. And then he, uh, he quickly became a goal-scoring prodigy uh, when he moved to Atletico Madrid and then on to Man City. But Man City currently has 180 goals in 265 games, so he's the fourth highest Premier League goal scorer of all time. And his goal per game ratio is 0.68, so just very slightly behind Harry Kane. Um, I mean, Aguero's record at Man City is just outstanding. Automatic uh, pick for a lot of fantasy teams, I'm sure. But yeah, any, anywhere around the box, his movement, his just quick shift onto his good foot and then straight in the corner every time. Great finisher, very powerful finisher as well. And he's just a natural goal scorer. He's just an incredible striker. Scored on his debut as well, didn't he, against Swansea, I think it was. Um, just massive talent, wasn't he? Oh, he still is. Sorry, just a shame that injuries are starting to take over his 
his game at the moment, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah, it is a shame. Yeah, he's um, he's been missed by Man City for a bit. Still can't score a goal at Anfield, though, so I left him off my list. <laughs> oh, it's tough. We've all got to leave someone off. That was the problem with this. No, well, I left him off because he's still playing. That's, a, that's one way to do it. Else <laughs> <laughs> he would have been very high up on my list, definitely. Oh, fair enough. Um, so on to number two, Chris. How are you doing, my number two, Mr. Rooney? Okay, all right. And? I've gone with uh, Mr. Terry, Terry Henry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, 175 goals in 256 appearances for Arsenal. He, he just had this nonchalant grace about him that everything seemed effortless. Yeah, he could score goals from flicking it over the goalkeeper's head to dribbling from inside his own half to put the ball in the net. Um, he went on one of the most dominant runs of any strike in Premier League history when he won four Golden Boot awards as league top scorer between 2002 and 2006. Um, and then in 2003-2004, yeah. he scored 30 goals whilst Arsenal went unbeaten um, the entire season. Fantastic, fantastic striker. And as long as you leave off that god-awful penalty he took with Pires, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't fault him at all. I've I've got him as number two on my list as well. Uh, like you say, the, the just the incredible grace about his all-round play, the mazy dribbles, the the finishing where he just seemed to effortlessly pass the ball into the bottom corner every time. He he almost had his own trademark finish because you just knew when he's one on one with the keeper, it's so easy for him, such a natural scorer. So yeah, I was a I was a big fan of Henri and his um. Goal per game ratio, it's level with Aguero, 0.68. Chris, got any thoughts on Terry Henry? Well, I did leave him out. Handball. <laughs> me. But Handball against <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Drop the mic. <laughs> um, no, the, the reason being because I thought at first, oh yeah, they bought him and he was a left winger, obviously at Juventus. And I thought, oh, I had a casual look today, actually, at his stats. And I went, oh, probably should have had him in. Scored 18 goals, I think, on his first season. And I don't think he he broke any lower than that. Um, But no, I knew you guys would probably have had him there. And I thought, fair enough. And he's French. And I put him as one of the dirtiest players in my top (laughs) 10. So... I can't then put him as one of my best players as goal scoring. So. It's not a about Ireland in the Premiership. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that to the Irish fans, they're still bad about it, mate. Okay, and then I think we've, we've done our number ones as well. I had Harry Kane, and I believe you both had Alan Shearer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow, it's a very good list there. There's, um, yeah, as I expected, we all, we all had some difficult decisions to make on leaving people off. There's some big names that didn't quite go on on this, but I think we've done well uh, discussing a bit of a variety and putting our own spin. Good work. Yeah. What's everyone's wild cards? As you mentioned, man. Honourable mentions. I can read you from the list of the players I wrote down. <laughs> well, just, yeah. Go on, then. Kevin Phillips, Torres, York, Dublin, Robbie Keane, uh, Defoe, Ronaldo, Owen, 
Jogba, Lampard, Ben, Anelka, Sheridan and Ferdinand. I was going to put in Defoe until this morning and decided not to. Because I thought someone might have, but no one did. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> it's surprised, actually. Uh, my mentions, uh, I actually put down Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, didn't stay long, but he uh, got 17 goals in 33 games. Man United, that's uh, a better goals per game ratio than Vardy and Van Persie. But uh, I left him off because he didn't stay long enough. And then uh, the other one I was considering um, putting on the list was Darren Bent, who got 106 goals in 276 games. And the reason why I was considering him is because he, he played for relatively weaker teams. I think to get that kind of goal return, 106 goals, teams lower down. It shows he obviously has something about him. All right. Good work, lads. Thinking on social media. For these. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, the first one I've got is um, the Stu and our pod. They've picked... Uh, Stu has picked Shearer, Aguero, Defoe, Henri and Andy Cole. Yeah, good shouts. Yeah, yeah not too bad. Yeah. Uh, Alex has picked... Defoe at number five, Andy Cole, number four, Jogba, number three, Fowler at number two, and Shearer at number one. Yep. Then I sent one out for people on Twitter. Okay, so Chris Kelly has come out with, in terms of out-and-out goal scorers, he said Jogba, Les Ferdinand, Aguero, Michael Owen, who wasn't mentioned in any of ours, was he? No, I really wanted to put him in, but I couldn't. No, no, I didn't really think really of him. Andy Cole, Ian Wright, then Shearer. And then he's put um, Thierry Henry, he's in a league of his own as a great goal scorer and a great footballer. Then he's put Anne Van Nistelrooy as well. Um, From the Stands podcast, put um, Wayne Rooney. And then Rodney McCain has put... Um, Ruud van Nistelrooy is the deadliest finisher I've ever seen in the Premier League history he simply didn't miss behind him was Cole York, Solskjaer and Sheringham then Henri Bergkamp, Fowler, <laughs> Owen Aguero, Rooney, Ronaldo Tevez yeah, I think so Lukaku, Hazard and Drogba um, Scoreless Thriller podcast Gave uh, Aguero at number one, Henri van Nistelrooy. Stu yep. Lang- Langworthy, sorry, put greatest goal scorer has to be Shearer, or the scorer of great goals is Matt Letizia. <laughs> <laughs> Your favourite man, Dan. And, and I so <laughs> wanted to put him in just to wind down, <laughs> but I decided not to. Dan Wade has then said Henri, Shearer, and then Aguero. So we're all about on the same page with that. Yeah, uh, good stuff. To be honest, um, good subject there, Dan. Um, again, if anyone wants to put their top five or top three, just send us an email to var at the bar 2020 at gmail.com or just tweet us at var at the bar or a Facebook VR at the bar one um, for anything, really. Any lists whatsoever, isn't it? Could be anything we've done in the past or anything that you want us to do. Just give us a shout.
Ferguson far post. Eatmar Harmon's there. Shearer hits it. Oh, what a goal! Shearer takes Newcastle to Wembley. What a fantastic strike by the captain. And now he will make history and leave the Toon Army out in the FA Cup final. Well, that's a magnificent play from Alan Shearer. He holds play up, he steadies the ship, he lays the ball off to manage, then he gets a ball that's coming right across his body. An absolutely fantastic technique, great strike, and really Ian Walker has not got a prayer in stopping that. And that is an absolutely magnificent effort from the Newcastle United skipper Alan Shearer. Don't tell me that Shearer's not the player he was. Don't tell me that he's slowed down and become a lesser striker since his ankle injury. Shearer, for me, is still... All right, are you guys ready for a quiz? Yeah. What's the score? All right, the scores are... I'm ahead on seven, Ant's on four, Chris is on two. Oh, okay. Only on four? God. Oh, if you win tonight, you're too Well, yeah. <laughs> then I'll need to pick a very Liverpool-based quiz for quiz. Um, for quiz. <laughs> All right, then. Question number one. In the 1994 German Goal of the Year Awards, which Bayer Leverkusen player was voted in third, second and first place with three different goals? Stefan Effenberg. No. Thomas Hesler. No. Beerhoff. No. Klinsman. No. Balak, is it? No, good guess, but no. Was he German? <laughs> yes, he was German. Okay. Rudy Voller. No. Rudy He's been mentioned on our podcast before. Use your brains. <laughs> you can get this. I'll give you a clue. He had blonde. Has he ever played in the Premier League? <laughs> no. Okay. Not in Spain. Schuster. Not Schuster. You both said that at the same time, but yes, it's right. <laughs> I, I don't think I can award that to either of you. That was exactly the same time. Only <laughs> VAR. When we listen to this, we'll, we'll determine a winner. Yeah, but you're recording it, Ant. You're bound to come up first on the recording. <laughs> Not necessarily. Okay, null and void. Yeah, and void. I agree to that then. Bern Schuster. Bern Schuster, yeah. Incredible. We should have got that straight away, shouldn't we, really? We should have, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get, I was really hesitant to give you any clues for that because I was sure you'd get it. But... Yeah. We've about, about covered his whole career now, haven't we, somewhere along the line? <laughs> I'm certainly by Leverkusen. <laughs> but yeah, you seriously, I'd check out some of those goals if you can. They were incredible. Yeah. Corner. One of them was a volley like Van Basten's. <laughs> wow. From an angle. Must have been knocking on a bit by then, surely. Yeah, I was going to say, that was the twilight of his career, isn't it? Yeah, incredible goals. Wow. All right, question number two. Who is the only African player to be named the Premier League Player of the Season? Didier Drogba. 
Nope. Yo, yo, Choi. Nope. Bangyaman. Nope. Mo Salah. Correct. One no man. Question number three. The top transfer fee received by a Premier League club is one hundred and six million pounds. Who was the player? Kai Havertz. Nope. It's uh, sold by a Premier League team. Oh, sold. Sorry. £106 million. Sterling. Yeah. Um, uh, Bale? Gareth Bale? No. Nope. Nope. Cristiano Ronaldo? No. Nope. Nope. Coutinho? Yes. <laughs> oh, Barcelona. Right, next question. It's one of those where you have to uh, wager how many answers you think you can get. Okay. Question is, 1996, in the FA Cup final, Liverpool suffered a 1-0 defeat against Man United. How many of the Liverpool's starting 11 from that game? I'll give you a hint. They played a 5-3-2 formation. 5-3-2. I'll give you a second to think about it, and then I'm going to come to Ant first. Five. I'll go six. Oh, seven. Chris, can you beat seven? Go on, I'll go eight. No, go on, Chris. Off you go. Um, Fowler? Yep. David James? Yep. Jamie Redknapp? Yep. Uh, Jason McAteer? Yep. Phil Bab? Yep. Stigging of Yornaby? Oh, I'm afraid not. Oh. And can you name one still? Um, John Scales. Correct. What was the full list? My full, full lineup is David James, John Scales, Mark Wright, Phil Bab. Jason McAteer, Rob Jones, Jamie Redknapp, John Barnes, Steve McManaman, Robbie Fowler, Stan Collymore. Oh, McManaman. The Spice Boys. Them all in their white suits. Yeah, yeah. Spice Boys, wasn't it? <laughs> oh. right, this next one, it's the same type of question. Uh, I was worried I was going to have to take this off my list, actually, because it might this guy might have featured in um, our top goal scorers list, but he didn't actually come up. So this question is, Robbie Keane played for 11 clubs throughout his career. How many of those 11 clubs can you name? And I'm going to come to you first, Chris. Go with four. I'll try five. Chris, can you go six? I'll try six. I'll, I'll, I'll give seven a go. All right. How many is there, Dan, did you say? There's 11. How many did you say? Um, seven. I'll give seven a go, yeah. I'll give eight a go. All right. <laughs> Some serious bidding on this one. Solid. I'll go nine. <laughs> Leave it up to you I'll... there, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Can someone keep count then? Yeah, I'll, I'll... 
Spurs. Yep. Liverpool. Yep. Coventry. Yep. Wolves. Yep. LA Galaxy. Yep. Well done. How many did I say? I need to get nine. Nine. You're halfway there, mate. You got five. Um, Celtic. Well done. West Ham. Yes. What, what am I on? Seven? Seven. There's a couple here. You'll kick yourself if you don't get it. Leeds. Well done. Have I said Inter Milan? You haven't said that. Well done, Ant. Oh, I had that saved. Well done, mate. What was the that other was two? Well Aston Villa. I didn't say Aston Villa. They played there, didn't they? He played at Villa, yeah. And the other one was Kolkata. Oh, no, I wouldn't have got that. <laughs> no. But you got, you got the other ten, so well done, Ant. That's very impressive. Well done. Nothing more I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly let you have eight, Chris. I thought Chris won't get eight. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're going to get into Milan, to be honest. But for a play, well, I, I had that in my head quite early on. I thought I'd said it. I'm quite glad <laughs> I, I double-checked. I knew, I knew you'd kick yourself if you didn't say it. You've, you've said it before on something else. <laughs> right, um, next question. It's the, It's the same kind of question where we're bidding on the answers. It's the last one of these bidding ones. 1970, 22 players who have transferred for a world record fee. How many of those 22 players can you name? Hold on, since the 70s or in the 70s? Right up until today. All of the world record transfers broke the record. Who's going first? It's your turn, Ant, to bid first. How, how, how many are there? 22. Right. Um, so, from the 70s to now, yeah? Yep. Oh, God. Okay. Interesting question. Well, dude, to, make, to make it more interesting, I'll allow you two uh, mistakes before I hand it over to your opponent. Okay. Um... I'll go with. Are we talking world transfer records there? Yes, world. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know. I'll go five. Okay. I'll go six. Go on, Chris. All right then. Uh, Kevin Keegan. Nope. No. Wow. Confident there. I would have said him, to be fair. He would have won it. Maradona. Yes. Actually transferred twice for a world record for Yes. Okay. Um, I'll go with Neymar. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Ronaldo, as in um, Brazilian Ronaldo. Yes. Okay. Well, I thought this was going to be easier. Um, Franz Beckenbauer nope oh so I'm on my last life then on your last life mm. was Marco Van Basten one? he not oh okay 
Good guess, but no. So I'll hand it over to Ant. Can you name one? Oh, God. Um, who have we said so far? Neymar, Ronaldo, Maradona. Coutinho. No. What? <laughs> it back to me. <laughs> yep, back to you, Chris. Oh, oh God. Well, don't I get two lives? <laughs> oh, Okay. Gareth Bale. Correct. Go on then. I'll read you the list. Yeah. So, in chronological order, uh, Johan Cruyff, Pepe Smalley, Paolo Rossi, Diego Maradona, Rude Hullet, Roberto Baggio, Jean-Pierre Papin, Gianluca Vialli, Gianluigi Lentini, Alan Shearer, Ronaldo, Danielson, Christian Vieri, Hernan Crespo, Luis Figo, Aka, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafael, Paul Pogba, Neymar. That's a good question there, Dan. All right, so we're six questions into the quiz. Ants leading the way. 4 1. Question seven. Jamie Vardy scored a hat- Premier League hat-trick versus Man City earlier this season. Who was the last player to score a Premier League hat-trick versus Man City? It's Jamie Vardy again. Correct. Well done, Chris. <laughs> it's in the um, 1st of December 2016. 4-2. Who is the only player to score five goals in a single half of Premier League football? Five. Correct. Which player played for the following clubs? Sheffield United, Staleybridge Celtic, Northampton Town, Everton. Calvin Lewin. Correct. Him again. Which player played for Sporting Club de Portugal, Porto, Monaco, Wolves? Joao Martino. Correct. Those are 6-3. Number 11. Which English football league club is nicknamed the Pirates? Bristol Rovers. Correct. And I went to uni with a, with a guy from Bristol, so I know, <laughs> I know about Bristol. <laughs> right, so just for the benefit of the listeners, then I'll, uh, I'll run the last two questions by Number 12, which English Football League club is nicknamed the Stags? Mansfield. Yep, from Chris. And finally, in the 2010-2011 season, which West Ham player won the Football Writers Player of the Year award? Joe Cole. No, you're not a million miles away. Mark Noble. No, but you're close. Uh, sim- similar playing style to Noble. Lampard. Nope. Sort of a tough tackling midfielder. Scott Parker. Yes, well done. I forgot he played for West Ham. Final scores is 7-5 to Ant. Well done, Ant. Back, back in the in the hunt for the top place, Ant. Get worried, yeah. Dan. <laughs> yeah, 7-5-2 now, so yeah. 
Close to five two. I always catch you up just before I have to do my own quiz. <laughs> I need a big game from you, Chris. Oh yeah. Right then, um, what have we got in store for your episode, mate? For the listeners so, to put in there. Yeah, so I thought having done the top ten shock sackings in British football, I thought we'd flip it and do top ten um shock slash surprise appointments. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I like that one. Um, the other one I said was um, top five memorable celebrations. Okay, bit of a fun I one think... there. So that so that can just be a one-off celebration and stuff like that. Whatever, yeah. whatever's memorable. So it's quite open. Nice. What? That should be a fun one. Very good. All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode fourteen. So this is me saying goodbye. See you later. See you in a bit. We'll catch you next time. Network.